0: Chapter Fifteen of the Eye of Dread. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Herndon Bell. The Eye of Dread by Payne Erskine. Chapter Fifteen The Big Man's Return. The night was bitter cold after a day of fierce heat three people climbed the long winding trail from the plains beneath slowly carefully and silently a huge mountaineer walked ahead leading a lean brown horse seated on the horse was a woman with long pale face and deeply sunken dark eyes that looked out from under arched dark brows with a steady gaze that never wandered from some point just ahead of her not as if they perceived anything beyond but more as if they looked backward upon some terror behind them on a sorrel horse a horse slenderer and evidently of better stock than the brown rode another woman also with dark eyes now heavy lidded from weariness and pale skin but younger and stronger and more alert to the way they were taking her face was built on different lines a smooth delicately modeled oval wide at the temples and level of brow with heavy dark hair growing low over the sides of the forehead leaving the center high and the arch of the head perfect trailing along in the rear a small mule followed bearing a pack sometimes the big man walking in front looked back and spoke a word of encouragement to which the younger of the two women replied in low tones as if the words were spoken under her breath we'll stop and rest a while now he said at last and led the horse to one side, where a level space made it possible for them to dismount, and stretch themselves on the ground to give their weary limbs the needed relaxation. The younger woman slipped to the ground, and led her horse forward to where the elder sat rigidly, stiff, declining to move. It is better we rest, mother, the kind man asks us. No, Amalia, no. We go on. It is best that we not wait." then the daughter spoke rapidly in their own tongue and the mother bowed her head and allowed herself to be lifted from the saddle her daughter then unrolled her blanket and speaking still in her own tongue with difficulty persuaded her mother to lie down on the mountain side as they were directed and the girl lay beside her covering her tenderly and pillowing her mother's head on her arm the big man led the animals farther on and sat down with his back against a great rock and waited they lay thus until the mother slept the sleep of exhaustion then amalia rose cautiously not to awaken her and went over to him her teeth chattered with the cold and she drew a little shawl closer across her chest this is a very hard way so warm in the day and so cold in the night it is not possible that i sleep the cold drives me to move you ought to have put part of that blanket over yourself It's going to be a long pull up the mountain, and you ought to sleep a little. Walk about a bit to warm yourself, and then try again to sleep. Yes, I try. She turned docilely and walked back and forth, then very quietly crept under the blanket beside her mother. He watched them a while, and when he deemed she also must be sleeping, he removed his coat and gently laid it over the girl by that time darkness had settled heavily over the mountain the horses ceased browsing among the chaparral and lay down and the big man stretched himself for warmth close beside his sorrel horse on the stony ground thus in the stillness they all slept at last over the mountain top the moon rose higher and higher it crept up in the sky and the stars waned before its brilliant whiteness the big man roused himself then and looked at the blanket under which the two women slept and with a muttered word of pity began gathering weeds and brush with which to build a fire it should be a very small fire hidden by chaparral from the plains below and would be well stamped out and the charred place covered with stones and brush when they left it soon he had steeped a pot of coffee and fried some bacon then he quickly put out his fire and woke the two women the younger sprang up and finding his coat over her, took it to him and thanked him with rapid utterance. Oh, you are too kind. I am sorry you have deprived yourself of your coat and put it over me. That is why I have been so warm. The mother rose and shook out her skirt and glanced furtively about her. It is not the morning. It is the moon. That is well. We go early. She drank the coffee hurriedly and scarcely tasted the bacon and hard biscuit it is no toilet we have here to make so we go more quickly so is good but you must eat the food mother you will be stronger for the long hard ride you have not here to hurry no one follows us here your father may be already by the camp amalia to bring us help yes but of those men rouge if they follow and rob us the two women spoke english out of deference to the big man and only dropped into their own language or into fluent French when necessity compelled them or they thought themselves alone. Ah, but those red men, mother, they do not come here. So the kind man told us, for now they are also kind. Sit here and eat the biscuit. I will ask him. She went over to where he stood by the animals, pouring a very little water from the cans carried by the pack mule for each one they'll have to hold out on this for the day but they may only have half of it now he said what shall i do amalia looked with wide distressed eyes in his face she believes it yet that my father lives and has gone to the camp for help she thinks we go to him to the camp how can i tell her i cannot i dare not let her think what satisfies her most we can tell her as much as is best for her to know a little at a time and there will be plenty of time to do it in. We'll be snowed up on this mountain all winter. The young woman did not reply, but stood perfectly still, gazing off into the moonlit wilderness. When people get locoed this way, the only thing is to humor them, and give them a chance to rest satisfied in something, no matter what much, only so they are not hectored. No mind can get well when it is being hectored. Hectored? that is to mean tortured yes i understand it is that we not suffer the mind to be tortured about that yes thank you i try to comfort her but it is to lie to her it is not a sin when it is for the healing i am not an authority on that miss but i know lying's a blessing sometimes if i could make her see the marvellous beauty of this way we go But she will not look me I can hardly breathe for the wonder yet I do not forget my father is dead I'm starting you off now because it will not be so hard on either you or the horses to travel by night as long as it is light enough to see the way then when the Sun comes out hot we can lie for a bit as we did yesterday then is no fear of the red men we met on the plains they're not likely to follow us up here not at this season and now the railroad's going through they're attracted by that do they never come to you at your home not often they think i'm a sort of white medicine man kind of a hoodoo and and they leave me alone she looked at him with mystification in her eyes but did not ask what he meant and returned to her mother i have eaten now we go is not yes mother the kind man says we go on and the red men will not follow us good i have afraid of the men rouge your father knows not fear only i know it soon they were mounted and travelling up the trail as before the little pack mule following in the rear no breeze stirred to make the frosty air bite more keenly and the women rode in comparative comfort With their hands wrapped in their shawls to keep them warm they did not try to converse or only uttered a word now and then in their own tongue amalia's spirit was enwrapped in the beauty around and above and below her so that she could not have spoken more than the merest word for a reply had she tried the moonlight brought all the immediate surroundings into sharp relief and the distant hills in receding gradations seemed to be created out of molten silver touched with palest gold above the vault of the heavens was almost black and the stars were few but clear even the stones that impeded the horses feet seemed to be made of silver the depths below them seemed as vast and black as the vault above except for the silver bath of light that touched the tops of the gigantic trees at the bottom of the canyon around which they were climbing the silence of this vastness was as fraught with mystery as the scene and was broken only by the scrambling of the horses over the stones and their heavy breathing thus throughout the rest of the night they wended steadily upward only pausing now and then to allow the animals to breathe and then on at last a thing occurred to break the stillness and strike terror to amalia's heart it had occurred once the day before when the silence was most profound A piercing cry rent the air that began in a scream of terror and ended in a long-drawn wail of despair. Amalia slipped from her horse and stumbled over the rough ground to her mother's side and poured forth a stream of words in her own tongue and clasped her arms about the rigid form that did not bend toward her, but only sat staring into the white night as if her eye perceived a sight from which she could not turn away. Look at me, mother. Oh, try to make her look at me. The big man lifted her from the horse and she relaxed into trembling there it is gone now walk with me mother and the two walked for a while holding hands and amalia talked unceasingly in low soothing tones after a little time longer the moon paled and the stars disappeared and soon the sky became overspread with the changing colouring and the splendour of dawn then the sun rose out of the glory but still they kept on their way until the heat began to overcome them. Then they halted where some pines and high rocks made a shelter, but this time the big man did not build a fire. He gave them a little coffee which he had saved for them from what he had steeped during the night, and they ate and rested, and the mother fell quickly into the sleep of exhaustion as before. Thus, during the middle of the day they rested, Amalia and the big man sometimes sleeping and sometimes conversing quietly. I don't know why mother does this i never knew her to until yesterday father never used to let her look straight ahead of her as she does now she has always been very brave and strong she has done wonderful things but i was not there when troubles came on my father i was put in a convent i know now it was to keep me from harm i did not know then why i was sent away from them for my father was not of the religion of the good sisters at the convent but now i know it was to save me why did troubles come on your father what he did i do not know but i am very sure it was nothing wrong in my country sometimes men have to break the law to do right my mother has told me so he was in prison a long time when i was living in the convent sheltered and cared for and mother mother was working all alone to get him out all alone suffering how could they keep you there if she had to work so hard my father had a friend He was not of our country. He was most kind and good. I think he was of Scotland, or maybe of Ireland. I was so little, I do not know. He saved for my mother some of her money, so the government did not get it. I think my mother gave it to him once, before the trouble came. Maybe she knew it would come. Anyway, so it was. I do not know if he was Irish or of Scotland, but he must have been a good man. Ben? Is he dead?' yes it was of a fever he died my mother told me he gave us his name and to my father his papers to leave our country for he knew he would die or my father never could have got out of the country i never saw him at once when i saw you i thought of him he was grand and good as are you my mother came for me at the convent in paris and in the night we went to my father and in the morning we went to the great ship We said McBride and all was well if we had said Manovska when we took the ship we would have been sent back and my father would have been killed in the prison we would have died it was hard to get on the ship but when we got to this country nobody cared who got off how long ago was that it was at the time of your great war we came my mother wore the dress of our peasant women and I did the same and were you quite safe in this country for a long time we lived very quietly and we thought we were but after a time some one came and father took him in and then others came and went away again and came again i don't know why they did not tell me but this i know some one had a great enmity against my father and at last mother took me in the night to a strange place where we knew no one and then we went to another place and to still another It was very wearisome. What was your father's business? My father had no business. He was what you call a nobleman. He had very much land, but he was generous and gave it nearly all away to his poor people. My father was very learned and studied much. He made much music, very beautiful. Not for money, never for that. Only after we came to this country did he so, to live. "'Once he played in a great orchestra. "'It was then those men found him "'and came so often that he had again to go away and hide. "'I think they brought him papers, very important, "'to be sacredly guarded "'until a right time should come to reveal them. "'And you have no knowledge "'why he was followed and persecuted. "'I was so little at the beginning, I do not know. "'If it was that in his religion he was different, "'or if he was trying to change in the government the laws.' For we are not of Russia. I know that when he gave away his land, the other noblemen were very angry with him. And at the court, where my father was sent by his people for reasons, there was a prince. I think it was about my mother he hated my father so. But for what? That I never heard. But he had my father in prison, and there in the prison they. What was that word? Hectored. Yes, in that prison they hectored him greatly so greatly that never more was he straight it was very sad i don't think we would say hectored for that i think we would say tortured oh yes i see to hector is of the mind but torture is of the body it is that i mean for they were very terrible to him my mother was there and they made her look at it to bring him more quickly to tell for her sake what he would not for his own i think when she looks long before her at nothing She has seen again the tortures of my father, and so she cries out in that terrible way. I think so. What were they trying to get out of him? Amalia looked up in his face with a puzzled expression for a moment. Get out of him, she asked. I mean, what did they want him to tell? Ah, that I know not. It was never told if they could find him i think they would try again to learn of him something which he only can tell i think if they could find my mother they would now try to learn from her what my father knew but her lips are like the grave at that time he had told her nothing but since then when we were far out in the wilderness i do not know i hope my mother will never be found is it a very secret place to which we go i might call it that yes I have lived there for twenty years, and no white man has found me yet, until the young man, Harry King, was pitched over the edge of eternity, and only saved by a—well, a chance, likely. The young woman gazed at him wide-eyed, and drew in her breath. You saved him? If he obeyed me, I did. And all the twenty years were you alone? I always had a horse. But for a companion— had you never won never are you too a good man who has done a deed against the law of your land the big man looked off a moment then down at her with a little smile playing about his lips i never did a deed against the law of any land that i know of but as for the good part that's another thing i may be fairly good as goodness goes goodness goes She repeated after him, as if it were one word from which she was trying to extract a meaning. Was it, then, to flee from the wicked world that you lived all the twenty years thus alone? Hardly that, either. To tell the truth, it may be only a habit with me. Will you forgive me that I ask? It was only that to me it has been terrible to live always in hiding and fear. I love people, and desire greatly to have kind people near me but of the world where my father and mother lived and at the court and of the nobles of all these i am afraid yes yes i fancy you were a grim look settled about his mouth although his eyes twinkled kindly he marveled to think how trustingly they accompanied him into the wilderness but then poor babes what else could they do you'll be safe from all the courts and nobles in the world where i'm taking you that is why my eyes do not weep for my father. He is now gone, where none can find him but God. It is very terrible that a good man should always hide, hide and live in fear, always, even from his own kinsman. I understand some of the sorrows of the world. You'll forget it all up there. I will try if my mother recovers. She drew in her breath with a little quivering catch. We'll wake her now and start on. It won't do to waste daylight any longer secretly he was afraid that they might be followed by indians and was sorry he had made the fire in the night but he reasoned that he could not have brought them on without some refreshment women are different from men he could eat raw bacon and hardtack and go without coffee when necessary but to ask women to do so was quite another thing for long hours now they travelled on even after the moon had set in the darkness It was just before the dawn, where the trail wound and doubled on itself, that the sorrel horse was startled by a small rolling stone that had been loosened on the trail above them. Instantly the big man halted where they were. "'Are you brave enough to wait here for a bit by your mother's horse while I go on?' "'That stone did not loosen itself. It may be nothing but some little beast. If it were a bear, the horses would have made a fuss.' He mounted the sorrel and went forward, leaving her standing on the trail, holding the leading strap of her mother's horse, which tossed its head and stepped about restlessly, trying to follow. She petted and soothed the animal, and talked in low tones to her mother. Then with beating heart she listened. Two men's voices came down to her—one the big man's, and the other—yes, she had heard it before. "'It is Arry King, mother. Surely he has come down to meet us,' she said joyfully. She would have hurried on, but bethought herself she would better wait as she had been directed. Soon the big man returned, looking displeased and grim. Young chap couldn't wait. He gave me his promise, but he didn't keep it. It was Arre King? He made no reply, and they resumed their way as before. It was a long wait and nothing to do, she pleaded, divining his mood. I had good reasons, miss. No matter i sent him back no need of him here we'll make it before morning now and he will have the cabin warm and hot coffee for us if you can stand to go on for a goodish long pull a goodish long pull it surely was in the darkness but the women bore up with courage and their guide led them safely the horse amalia rode being his own horse knew the way well don't try to guide him he'll take you quite safely he called back to her let the reins hang and in the dusk of early morning they safely turned the curve where Harry King had fallen, never knowing the danger. Harry King, standing in the doorway of the cabin, with the firelight bright behind him, saw them winding down the trail and hurried forward. They were almost stupefied with fatigue. He lifted the mother in his arms without a word, and carried her into the cabin, and laid her in the bunk, which he had prepared to receive her. He greeted Amalia with a quiet word as the big man led her in and went out to the horses, relieved them of their burdens, and led them away to the shed by the spring. Soon the big man joined him and began rubbing down the animals. I will do this. You must rest, said Harry. I need none of your help, he said, not surlily, as the words might sound, but colourlessly. I needed yours when I came here, or you saved me and brought me here, and now whatever you wish I'll do, but for to-night you must take my help i'm not apologizing for what i did because i thought it right but peace man peace i've lived a long time with no man to gainsay me i'll take what comes now and thank the lord it's no worse we'll leave the cabin to the women after i see that they have no fright about it and we will sleep in the fodder there have been worse beds i have coffee on the hearth hot and corn dodgers such as we used to make in the army i've made them often before Turn the beasts free. There isn't room for them all in the shed, and I'll go get a bite and join you soon. So Harry King did not return to the cabin that night, much as he desired to see Amalia again, but lay down on the fodder and tried to sleep. His heart throbbed gladly at the thought of her safety. He had not dared to inquire about her father. Although he had seen so little of the big man, he understood his mood, and having received such great kindness at his hands, He was truly sorry at the invasion of his peace. Undoubtedly, he did not like to have a family, gathered from the Lord only knew where, suddenly quartered on him for none knew how long. The cabin was only meant for a hermit of a man, and little suited to women and their needs. A mixed household required more rooms. He tried to think the matter through and to plan, but the effort brought drowsiness, and before the big man returned, he was asleep. End of chapter 15